0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Franci, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional teal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate from the life they're now able to live to the person they've become along the way as they pursued their dreams and having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my next guest, I like to begin, as always, by first thanking you for listening in for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to encourage you to continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions to CEO at raincanada.com. That's directly to me at CEO at raincanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, your family, other people, you know, even people you don't know, rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide the team and I. It is definitely appreciated. Now, let's get on with this show. My guest today is Steve Canesso. And I want to begin by saying Steve truly is the epitome of an everyday millionaire. And he is the most unassuming everyday millionaire that you will ever likely meet. He was born in 1960 in a small town west of Venice, Italy. And when he was still a young child, his parents immigrated to Ottawa, Canada. And as far back as Steve can recall, he had a goal, an intention, if you will, to be financially free and to retire by the time he was 50 years old. Steve graduated his post-secondary education as a computer programmer, which was even before PCs were invented. And he ended up going to work for a company that made black boxes that went into military helicopters and were used to search for submarines. That's pretty cool. And that's, it's like a scene right out of the hit movie Hunt for Red October, if you ever happened to have seen it. It was really early on that Steve figured out real estate was the game he wanted to play. And by the age of 24, he had invested and purchased three townhouses and a three unit house, which was within the first couple of years of him even having a job. Steve has always been just a little bit ahead of his time and he started a company that did digital audio and video which was even before JPEGs existed. He and his partners took the company public and raised a couple of million on the Toronto over-the-counter stock market. He then went on to work for Cognos in data mining software, became a partner in a totally unrelated industry bridal gown manufacturing company and that happens to be how he met his wife Bonnie. He got married in 2005 and made the decision to retire that same year at about 45 years of age, actually a few years ahead of his goal. Today, Steve's an angel investor with several companies and lives his vision and intention for retirement, to live a life unencumbered by the need to make money and to choose to spend his time exactly how he wants. Without any further delay, my guest, Steve Canesso. Steve Canesso, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire podcast.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: I'm glad. Now, Steve, this is kind of a cool interview because uh, I met you through Bonnie Canesso, your wife, and my good friend. And uh, actually, she is our vice president of sales and marketing for Legacy and supports us around the Real Estate Investment Network as well. And I've gotten to know her over the past several months, along with Jean-Guy Francoeur. So it's, it's interesting because the more I heard about Steve, the more interested I got. And we're actually sitting here on a on a Zoom call, so I'm looking at you face to face. But It's the first time we've yeah. really had cool conversation.
1: Yes, it is. I, I've uh, been hearing a lot about Rain and Legacy, and um, and uh, you, Patrick, and and then uh, Richard yeah. and uh, everyone else. Now JG, I've known for quite a while. So, anyways, it's it's been uh, very interesting. That Bonnie got involved
0: in that. Yeah, we're stoked to have her on board and on the team. Yeah. But you know what showed up for me around before we go down uh, about more about our relationship and or the relationship with Bonnie and how this all came to be. Let's give listeners right away a context for Steve Canesso. So Steve, you know, in in a in a sixty second or whatever you want it to be elevator pitch. You know, if somebody says Steve Canesso, what do you do? What's your answer to that question these days? <laughs> whatever i want <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i want to dig into that a little bit but aside for that let's go a yes. little deeper well well uh, i basically have been
1: retired for quite a while now and and mainly so i could do whatever I, I want uh not in the sense that i don't do anything but just in the sense that i can you know if i feel like doing something i, I just do it so i we just bought a new house, and so that's been my big focus. I've been doing all sorts of things around the house, which I've done basically my whole life anyways. But uh, this is kind of fun because it's a beautiful place to be, and I really enjoy being here. So um, I don't know. It's hard to to really put that down. I just kind of take each day. I don't really plan too many things in advance. I Really, I'm kind of tied down a little bit. Because my mom is uh, eighty-nine, and I'm taking care of her, and I got a little dog that now is on four medications, so take care of her. So I've, I take care of two senior citizens, is what I like to say.
0: <laughs> That's great. Now you know it's interesting because you're a relatively young man. You're uh, you know you're kind of uh, I, I don't know, I don't I think you're younger than I am.
1: How old are uh, you now? Just a couple of years. I just turned fifty-eight. Uh, yeah. Months ago. Yeah.
0: Cool. And I just turned sixty. So, yep. you know, retired, an interesting term, given, you know, what that means these days. Uh, and you've, yeah. you've been in that position for quite some time. Yeah. Give us a kind of yeah. an overview of your enviable, you know, the, the position you've got yourself in financially is is quite enviable. I mean, you've uh, you've been sitting in a position of making, being able to choose whatever you do day to day for a number of years now. How did you yeah. get there? Take me back a little bit. I know that real estate is part of what you've done, but you've done a lot of other things as well.
1: Yes. Yeah, so uh, I I don't remember a lot of when I was young, but I do remember thinking there's nothing I can do for thirty or forty years and not get bored of it. So there, I, I knew right away that I wouldn't be able to do what most people were doing, which now is nobody does that anymore. Where you actually go to a company and work there and then retire. Nobody does that anymore, but when I was going to school that was pretty normal. And I remember thinking there's no way I'm gonna do that. And what I knew I, wa- I wanted to retire. So I way back, I uh, remember I want to retire uh, basically 45. I didn't want to retire old too. I didn't want to retire and not be able to do anything. So <laughs> so I always thought about it. So it was kind of like this goal that I had. I didn't know exactly what it was. I remember back then I used to think, okay, I'm going to make a million dollars and then I'm going to get 10% return. I'm going to have $100,000 a year and I'm going to live off of that, which now doesn't seem anywhere near as big as it did back then because a million dollars was worth a lot more back then. Sure. So so that was kind of, I, I always had that in my head. So I just did, I did whatever. I would do things, but real estate was probably the best investments I made in my life was real estate.
0: So where did you, when, when you when you got into real estate, so just back a little bit and Ooh, and yeah. I'm going to dig in a little bit. I want to just pause on that story for a second Yeah, um, and even go back before we get into it. Tell me a little bit about, I mean, you're a young man and you're having these thoughts about, I'm not going to work for the next 40 years and, and I, I just can't see myself doing that. And you began the journey. You began, but w- do you have any kind of recall in terms of where did those thoughts come from? Was your dad entrepreneurial? Was your mom entrepreneurial? <laughs> what was what was their story, and, and how did that shift, or was there an influence there from them?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's kind of funny because my uh, I'm not like my dad at all in those in that sense. My dad, uh, well, we're immigrants. I was born in Italy, uh, and when I was six years old, we moved to Ottawa. And I went, I didn't know a word of English and I went straight to school and I learned English while I learned how to, I don't know, grade one. I started in grade one at that point. And my dad, he's, you know, they they lived through World War II in Italy and it wasn't pretty. They knew a lot of um, hardships, but I didn't feel any of that. They Their world revolved around me. As a matter of fact, they came to Canada. My dad came to Canada because he felt I had a better chance uh, in Canada than in in Italy. Now, Italy back then was still recovering from the war. It wasn't quite what it is now. There's not as big of a difference now, but back then there was. And so anyways, uh, so he was very, very conservative. My dad borrowed money once in his life, and that's when he bought the house. And he never borrowed money again. He never borrowed money for a car. He never borrowed money. He didn't even use a credit card for the longest time. So getting in debt for him would, was not uh, a normal thing. So I don't really know. It's, it's strange because I can't think of why I was like this. But as far as I can remember, I always wanted to. I was a much more bigger risk taker than my dad. That's for sure
0: was that risk that you developed or that sense or that willingness to take risk was that born out of wanting to be a business owner or an entrepreneur or did you were you always in the mindset of investing and getting a return on the investment or as opposed to having a vision for a cool business that impacted people
1: yeah well i think it, i think it really Everything goes back to my focus of retiring early. So whatever I thought might take me to that goal is kind of what I work towards. Mm -hmm. And if it made sense, you know, I'm pretty good at math. So, you know, when someone told me things, I'd be able to look it up and I'd research stuff and I got into real estate almost right after I started working. Now I I lived at home until I was in my thirties, I think. And that's I'm an only child too. So for Italians, that's pretty
0: normal. normal. That's, yeah, that's
1: called uh, As a matter of fact, when I moved out, my aunt in Italy got mad at me saying, what the heck are you moving out? You got to marry to move out. And I didn't get married until later in life. So, But I moved out before I got married, and my aunt didn't think that was very good. So anyways, um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting, the, the whole thought of it. But when I, I got my first job, I'm a, a computer programmer by the way. That's what I ended up doing. I found that I was quite good at it uh, with my math kind of tendencies. And and I really loved it. Uh, when I first started uh, programming, I loved it. Anyway, so when I got my first job, I was living at home and I saw house prices just kept going up and up. And Ottawa is very steady for real estate, especially uh, this is uh, mid 80s. So I'm like 26. 25 and, uh, the prices are, have been going up and I look historically and you could take any seven year period and the house price will have doubled during that time, uh, every seven years. So I figured, you know, if I invest, um, you know, if I can get a million dollars worth of real estate, it'll, I'll have a million dollars, uh, of equity in seven years that isn't exactly what happened because the 90s was quite different it was very unique so i bought most of my properties i think it was 88 when i bought most of them and uh but you know what i always had a long term uh vision and in the end i that's where most of my equity came from
0: so in the in the world of real estate and deciding to invest in real estate was where did you get the awareness of around, around it was there did you have a mentor Or was it just because you're kind of known for, like you, you said earlier when I was talking to you just before we kicked in the show that you're always Mm -hmm. in the pursuit of knowledge and understanding. And, and so you're wired that way. Did you, where did real estate show up for you back in the eighties in Ottawa, you know, in that regard?
1: Yeah. So I was living at home, so I didn't have a principal residence. And I always saw that, like if, if my dad made any money in his life, in his, in his lifetime. It was basically from real, uh, his house because that, that was the one thing he actually borrowed money. And that was the, you know, his biggest asset in the end. And so I didn't want to miss out by living at home, not having real estate. I wanted to be able to get the same house that I could afford at the time. So my thought was I should buy real estate and rent it out. And then I'll still be able to afford the same house I can afford right now without actually owning the house. And that was part of the thinking. That's when I started looking at real estate. Then I ran into, um, I, I got into a broker, and he had a bunch of real estate uh, properties all over the place, right? And uh, and so he kind of told me these different things, and I, you know, researched it. And, and I, he was able to... Because buying, I, I I had three townhomes and a, a three-unit house, uh, all bought in a couple of years, and that's hard to do to get the mortgages. But I could assu- uh, at that time you could assume a mor- a mortgage with no questions asked. So I was able to pay the whole the amount that was required just to and then just assume the mortgage. Where, so where were you
0: getting? Where were you getting your down payment capital? Was that was that a, a arrangement <laughs> you had with your dad or friends, or or did you just work really hard and you managed to? to yeah, save some I, money?
1: I'm a I'm a saver, so that's kind of one of those things where, um, to me, uh, saving is probably more important than actually how much money you make, because I've seen a lot of people make a lot of money and they don't have any. Um, and if you can save money and you can basically, it's delayed gratification. I've always, since I was, I think I started working when I was 12, I was working for a dollar an hour, uh, in a cleaning up, uh, in a machine shop for my uncle. And, uh, and actually I was willing to work for 50 cents. He actually gave me a dollar instead. And that was below minimum wage even back then. But I just wanted to make money. So when I was fourteen, I bought a thousand dollar stereo from all the money I saved. Um, and then uh, when I was sixteen, I bought my first car uh, before I had my license. And then I didn't—I <laughs> failed my test a few times. So I literally had a car for about six months before I actually had a driver's license. I only had a learning permit. So, anyways, it's just—it's uh, more about saving. So because I was living at home. I pretty much, and my parents weren't charging me uh, to live there at all. I pretty much saved everything I made, and I was making pretty good money to start uh, within the first couple years because I just, I mean, that was another thing, you know, becoming a programmer when I when I there was no course for programming in school at the time, PCs hadn't even been invented yet, and so I just I'm like at riding the wave of high tech. Before anybody even knows it's coming,
0: so you're an early adopter in that regard. Now, do you, are you still a yeah. tech guy? Do you still enjoy tech? Is that your is still a game you play?
1: Well, that, that's uh, you know what's funny is that remember I said I, I don't like doing anything. I couldn't see myself doing anything for forty years, <laughs> and I I don't like computers that much. I I mean, I know how they work. I know how they work right down to the ones and zeros. I mean, I really. Back then you had to, every bit was important when I was first programming. Uh, So I really understand how they work. I'm amazed at what they can do now, but you'll catch me without my cell phone all the time. And as a matter of fact, I didn't even have a very good cell phone until just recently. And the the reason was that the one I had, I couldn't, I couldn't run my uh, Tesla app uh, anymore and, and I had to have, the ability to talk to my car so
0: so you bought it you know we'll jump around a little bit so did you yeah. buy a tesla because of the uh technology or did you buy a tesla because you think it's an environmental thing or you 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 find or you believe yeah. in the environmental aspect
1: you know it's it's kind of odd i i think the real reason i bought a tesla was because bonnie said shut up and go buy one <laughs> uh, but uh i don't know i was following i I, I love Elon Musk. I mean, I, I have to say it, it, it's he's one person that I admire more than uh, anyone I can think of. Um, and I was following him. I mean, his he loves knowledge. The stuff he's interested in, I'm definitely interested in, you know, especially this with the technology with YouTube and and all these different people, you can spot people who are not honest a lot easier than you think because there's so much recorded stuff that you can see people contradict themselves and inconsistencies
0: and, oh isn't that the truth hey yeah you can yeah. see you
1: can see the inconsistencies in people and i have watched probably more videos with elon musk i, I mean i have a, a hard time finding something new with him because i've seen almost everything he's ever said and there is not 1 ounce of inconsistency in what he says And what he does because that's another that's the other inconsistency. It's not just contradicting yourself, it's just saying one thing and doing another. And there's no one I've seen that's that consistent throughout his life. So I loved everything he did. And the more I read about the Teslas, the more I loved the car. And uh anyway, so I just was always I knew I was gonna get one. It was just a matter of time, and it wasn't about money. That's the whole thing. It's I've I could have bought any car I wanted when I was in my early 20s. I was living at home, making good money. I could have bought any car, but I didn't. I never bought it, a, a new car in my life. So even the Tesla wasn't new when I bought it. I just It just didn't make sense to me to to lose that money just to get the new car smell. Yeah,
0: no, you and I are you. like that too. I'm, I'm that way as well. I'm going, why would I buy an 18 when I can buy a 17 and save 10, 15, 20 grand?
1: Yeah, and that's and just, yeah, it's all you know. I sure. mean, you can. I mean, it's all a matter. It's not how, like I said, it's not how much money you make. It's how much you spend, because in the end, that's what it is. Now, I don't live. Obviously, you don't want to live like a miser, because that's that's no fun either. But there's a there's all. I mean, that's the that's life, right? You've got to kind of find that balance, and you have to be comfortable with it. So, anyway, so. Yeah, I was following the car and I didn't really want to buy it in Canada. We we were always thinking we were going to move to the U.S., Bonnie and I. We kind of, that was, because most of her family's there. Uh, I only have uh, my mom and dad. My dad passed away just before we got married. So it was just my mom. But it just was kind of waiting for the right moment. And I hate the salt in the car, you know, ruins your car. And I mean, I just love <laughs> the the Tesla, right? So anyways, it just got to a point where Bonnie just said, just shut up and buy the car. So that was the the one, she only had to say it once. And I was in Montreal the next day looking at them. I thought I was going to buy a new one, but there was a great, uh, and there wasn't a lot of used Teslas around, believe me, that was a very, and when I looked at what I could get for the same amount of money as a new one, I could get one with everything, all the features, the only thing that it didn't have was the new autopilot, which back then was the first generation autopilot. And I just said, you know what? I'm not buying the car so a computer can drive it. I want to drive this car. So I'd rather get all the bells and whistles. And uh that's you, know, I I th-
0: you know, I think in, in the context of you know the everyday millionaire and it is as much as it is it is about doing it's the way you view the world. And, you know, the one thing, Steve, that I know doesn't show up for you is, you know, is a big ego having to be at the forefront of everything. And, you know, to your point, you'd rather save a little bit of money than, you know, be the guy that owns the new car that smells nice and, you know, and, and is the latest and greatest. And, yeah. and so that's an, that's an interesting part of mindset and of you, you know, once again, a dollar saved is a dollar earned. That's kind of what you're operating on top of as well. So that's an interesting way to, to view the world. I want to go back to your real estate because, you know, so many people understand, you know, real estate and they see it. You bought some pieces of real estate. You know, I was, I was on the same page as you. I was buying real estate when I could assume mortgages. And that was a, a great time to be real, to be buying real estate. Of course, the next best time is now. And although it doesn't seem quite as easy, there's still lots of opportunities in the world of real estate. And we see it every day in the, in, you know, given the business we're in, but did you continue to build your real estate portfolio? Is did you, you know, that was a single family. Tell me a little bit about it. Did you manage your own properties back then, Steve?
1: Yes, I did. I, I managed. Now, you know, just to touch on a point you said where, you know, it, it's not always a good time. There is no good time uh if you look at everything. Like when I bought my properties, 13% interest rate was a really good interest rate. Sure. So, so you know, there's now it's a joke the the amount you pay on interest. I almost want to borrow money as much as I hate borrowing money because it's so cheap. But yeah, so there isn't any. There's always one thing or another with real estate. There's the, all the different variables that that uh, you look at, and there's never. I mean, sometimes there's a perfect combination. Put it this way: if I, I look back at it now, and 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 I see what rain does and i did everything wrong and i still did well with real estate
0: <laughs> there you go right, right?
1: so sure. so that you know like i i bought at the wrong time right. i uh probably i didn't do any research as to you know what was what's hot and that i didn't even really get great deals on on the stuff but if you hold real estate long enough you're going to do well and that's the key uh you see, I didn't overextend myself, which was another thing which can you can get yourself caught up. You know, and that's a that's a comfort thing with you, whether you can sleep at night or not. But you wanna be able to uh go through some of the bumpy roads, which sometimes you're gonna get. Well, you're always gonna get. Every every business I've ever been in, uh that happens. So
0: well, they say about real estate, it isn't timing the market; it's time in the market. And uh, you know, really, you're a testament to that as well. Did you yeah. did, did you continue? Have you always continued to invest in real estate and build a port? You know, continue to build a portfolio, or did you slow down and go a different direction?
1: Yeah, I pretty much did that, and then I started a, a company with uh, someone that I met in uh, well, the job. My first job. I was always an. I think I was always an entrepreneur. I mean, I think I'm a serial entrepreneur. I can't really not be. I don't like working for other people. I know that there's no way I could work for anybody right now. I mean, I'd be completely, even though I'm a great employee, I've always done well when I've worked. It's just that I, I'm i just, I don't know, uh, entrepreneurs in my blood kind of thing. So uh, I met a guy and he wanted to start a company. I want to start a company. We started a company together. Uh, we did pretty good with the company and there was, you know, really good potential, but, and there was a time where the company was worth quite a bit of money, but then certain things happened and it didn't work out as well. But, but, um, what business
0: was that? Can you give us a little bit of background about what that business was? Because I think that, you know, those are interesting parts. Cause you, you, you got into a business, you met what a partner or you met, well, obviously you met somebody who yeah, had, had an expertise yeah. in some area and you had an expertise in some area and together you came and you built a business. What business was that?
1: Yeah, so he was he. We both were working at what's called it's called was called Computing Devices uh, Company at the time. They basically did uh, military uh, hardware and software. So we were working on the same project, which was the uh, uh, Sonoboy Processing Company. So if you've ever seen Hunt for Red October. Basically, they're microphones that you put in the water and you you're listening for submarines. Um, And it's, you know, I had no idea. The last place I wanted to work was for a military company because I was very idealistic. I thought war was unnecessary and a lot of the stuff that a lot of the kids do uh, nowadays. And that's because I was a bit naive. I mean, I, I was sheltered in that my parents were very, very good to me. Everybody in my life was very good to me. I, I didn't, even people lying was to me was uh, foreign because I just never experienced it in my young life. So it was a very big learning experience getting into the world. So anyways, but that was the only job I could get at the time, even though, you know, you think computers, now you get a job. Well, there was a bit of a recession when I graduated and uh, it was hard to find uh, a computer job. But it, I'll tell you, it was one of the most interesting jobs I've ever done. So anyways, he was more hardware. I was more software. He had, uh, was it, a, an uncle that wanted to do uh, point-of-sale advertising. So back then, it was very hard to do, and no one was doing it, but it was the most effective advertising. And what he had a contract for was to play uh, commercials in grocery stores. And talks people and people would buy more groceries right so it's a very good thing but all they could do back then was VCRs and uh, and the video and of course it would play a loop but then someone would have to rewind it and play it and, and then it would break down and all of those kinds of things and they wanted something that was better so eventually we did do uh, a more uh, we did a controller for VCR so that it would be more automated. But we also were working towards digital video. Now, back then, you you have to remember, back then, modems were, there was no internet. Uh, modems were 14.4 kilobits. Kilobits, not megabits.
0: <laughs> yeah, kilobits. <just> little, little.
1: <laughs> little, little. And, you know, it's interesting because even back then, someone said, they're never going to get more than, uh, I think at the time, they've got up to 28.000 point eight kilobits per second he said they'll never get more than that over a twisted pair which is a a copper wire that your phone's on right which now we're talking on a twisted pair and, and it's like 10 megabyte megabits right so it's like thousands of times more over something that people thought they'd never and this is a hardware guy saying these things right there was a lot more delineation between hardware and software back then because uh, the hardware guys were more important because we didn't. There wasn't a lot of hardware around. it Whereas now, software is the key because one piece of hardware needs thousands of programmers. So, anyways, uh, yeah, we started doing digital video. There was no JPEG, MPEG was wasn't even there. There was no standards, and we were started doing this stuff soon after we 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 bought all this equipment, rented all this stuff his uncle lost his contract and we had to scramble. We laid most of the people off. Uh, but then uh, we got a couple government contracts. One was to do uh, digital weather radio. So the, the radio uh, the weather radios are in remote places. So nobody's there where, where the weather station is. And they wanted to put the weather, the, tra- uh, the computer that would transmit and they could, Phone in and record the weather. And uh, we won that contract. We developed it all using a PC with a phone line, and we're basically doing digital audio over these 14.4 modems. And at the same time, they wanted to do there's a pass out in BC somewhere. I forget what it's called now, but it's the weather can change really quickly, and people fly through there, and it's really can get really dangerous. So they wanted to be able to just get a picture, uh, with it, you know, of a lot, like five minutes ago or something, or two minutes ago. And just to get a picture back then was a big deal. And we did a system for that. And from that, we developed, uh, what back then was wow, digital video, which was, uh, 10 frames a second. And it was a size of a postage stamp. I think it was like a hundred pixels by a hundred pixels. But uh, back then, nobody was doing any of that. We developed a product with that. Anyways, we had some interesting stuff. We were way ahead of the curve on a lot of the stuff, and we 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 took the company public over over the counter. It's called in the Toronto Stock Exchange, and we raised about between two and three million. I forget exactly how much it was now. And then things went a little bit weird because. we had investors now, and and uh, we had an offer from Terry Matthews. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's big in Ottawa. He started Mitel with Michael Copeland, and uh, he then had a company called Newbridge. And Newbridge basically, Mitel did switches. What we think now is common, but back then uh, everybody had their own phone line to their desk, and then. Just having your own PBX—that's what Mitel did originally, and then they started to get more into uh, switching. And uh, he did Newbridge. Newbridge was bought out by a big uh, Alcatel from France. And anyways, he's a big, big guy in in high tech, and he made us an offer. And the the uh, investors wanted more. And that's not how he does business. He offers you what you think it's worth. And if you say no, he just goes off and does it somewhere else. And that started a bit of a riff in the, in the company. And I ended up just leaving and going uh, to work just for Cognos, which now IBM ended up buying Cognos. But. And did really interesting thing there too because that was data mining, which was brand new at the time too.
0: So, did you when you built when you were with your partner in the other business that were you were part of the business that you walked away from? I'm not. Yeah. Did yeah. It, it
1: was, yeah. Well, it got it got like once you know. I mean, I was once you uh, raise money, you you're in the you I had yeah. about ten percent of the company, and and things weren't. I you know, to me, it's more important to be happy than than to to make money. His money is worthless if you're not happy. And so I just, things weren't going very well. I was kind of, it was very frustrating. And it's not like I needed money. I was always saving money throughout the whole thing. And I had my real estate the whole time too. So it wasn't like I was desperate or anything. And so I just decided I'd rather just go do something else. The company went bankrupt within two or three months from after I left.
0: So tell me something, you know, Steve, is that when you're back in that time, so you come out of, you know, to your earlier part of your journey where you were living in the idealisms that you were living in around, even just how people connected with you and how the conversion and all, you know, our conversation, I should say, were you at the time where you're in this business, where you're going through a pretty steep learning curve, I'm assuming that you're all of a sudden getting life's lessons kind of. Presented to yeah. you in a big way. How old were you at that yeah. time? What, what was you? What were you? What was your age back well, then? Well,
1: I think so. I think we started the company around 1990 or something like that.
0: So I was like 30. Mm. And uh, so you're getting some lessons. You're getting some lessons yeah. along that. What was that like for you back then? Are you are you feeling stressed? Are you going? Is it like really hectic, chaotic? Are you working 20 hours a day? What was that time like in your life?
1: yeah I was I'd sleep at at the company like but but you know what with programming, um, you I could do it for just constantly and it, I didn't no, notice the time to me. That's one of the things with work is if you're looking at the clock, that's real work. Uh, if you all of a sudden, you know three hours have gone by and you haven't noticed, to me that's not even work even though, you know, I mean, even though I was working a lot. And so I really enjoyed programming when I did it. I, I really loved it. I just, like I said, I just got tired of looking at a computer screen all day and and just doing stuff on a computer. So I, I just like to do different
0: things. So you were done with that whole company, the business of it, the... Yeah. Work workload the i guess the the team of people or your partner was there was there a of controversy back there was there a tipping point that led to the final just okay i've had enough yeah um, it
1: was it was shortly after we lost the the that deal that uh a, a bunch of us left you know it was it was quite a few basically almost the whole top management left and uh, they hired a new president and
0: yeah What's your mindset back then? You know, it's it's interesting that people go on their journey and they face these obstacles and and for you to remember what your mindset was, were you like do you just wash your hands of it and go, you know, something, I learned a lot, I've made some money and I'm going to move on to what's next for me and I'm excited about that? Or are you, you know, are you holding grudges and being pissed off and and you know, really grinding it out and thinking to yourself that somebody took advantage of you pissed off because there, once again, it's, it's, I always, as I talk to more and more people, you know, there is a certain attitude and of, of letting go. Right. And I'm just kind of connecting to that with you. What was it like? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, I, it definitely, uh, held on to it longer than I would now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I just, I, I, I just move on. Anyways, with with everything, right? Like, I think one of the things that I'm fortunate, I, I think, is fortunate is I don't remember really well uh, details of you know what people say and do, and it's actually in a lot of ways, it's it's a good thing because then you it's harder to hold a grudge if you don't remember those really strong things. And, and until I start thinking about them, I hardly even remember them. So, I, I mean, this happened again afterwards uh, with, with another partner. And, and, you know, I when I look at all these, I, these different companies and they've been quite different, real estate's the one thing that's been consistent. And it's been the simplest of the whole thing because you just, you know, you just buy and hold. I mean, I just think, it's, it's the simplest thing. How much,
0: and, uh, how much easier could it be?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and the thing, but the thing is it's the slowest, right? Yeah. Cause, cause with the high tech, I could have made a lot of money and I made some really good money on the next company, not, and I went to work at a regular company, but I got options. And back then it was just the timing and I, the options were worth more than my salary.
0: Yeah. Well, it, I want to, you know, I want to dig in a little bit. You know, there's, it's interesting you say you don't yeah. remember too much of what went on in the past. You know, I'm built very much the same way. And, and what I've come to the conclusion and the realization around, you know, memory is that if you stay present to what's happening right now, if you don't live in a world of regrets, if you don't live in the past stories and all of the bullshit that goes on, because yeah. guess what? You, if you hang on to that stuff, it's taken up capacity. Number one, it's eaten away oh, at yeah. you. And so I'm very much that way. I just let go. And, and I'm like you, like, I have to really think about the past and the stories and all the rest of it, because I'm just moving on. Whatever happened yesterday, happened yesterday. And I learned from it and move on. That's kind of where my brain is usually firing at.
1: Yeah, it, and, you know, it, I, I totally agree with you. And, 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 you know, I've had my shares of people screwing me because I'm a really uh, trusting person. And, and personally, I wouldn't have it any other way, right? Like some people think, uh, that if someone takes advantage of you, you're an idiot, but I don't think that way. What I think is that I'm going to trust you. If you want to take advantage of me, that's your problem. That's your, that's the way you want to go through life. I don't take advantage of people or not purposely thinking that I am anyways, and you know, there's enough obstacles in the world without having to worry that your partner is screwing you. And it just isn't worth isn't worth your time. Like, it's just, you know, I think one of my favorite little sayings from the Bible is, you know, when uh, Jesus says that, uh, you know, the birds don't worry about where they get their meal and they don't worry about where they are. You know they're just taken care of, and I, I just think worrying doesn't add a day to your life. And um, it's very hard not to worry. I'm not saying I don't worry, but I always go back to that idea that you know life is too short to waste it on thing on some things. It's just certainly
0: know. certainly too short to waste it living in the past because it's oh, done. Yeah. It's gone. Let's move on. Yeah. So you, uh, so you're in the tech industry. You're doing what you're doing for many years, but then you got into some other businesses and and I want to I want to get yeah. to a little bit about how you bought how you met Bonnie because that yeah. was a whole different business and a whole different story that evolved. Yeah. W- share with me a little bit about that business and how that kind of came to be, Steve.
1: Yeah. So when we had the high tech company, we wanted to do a bit of charitable work. So we started um, helping out with the food bank. And we'd take the whole company to work at the food bank for a day uh, every now and then. And I met this guy there that was vice president of the food bank. And, you know, we helped them with not just the food bank, we helped them with business because people say business is business. Well, if you've ever done several different businesses that are totally unrelated, you realize what that means. And because you know cash flow is king all of these sayings they're there for a reason because that's the reality no matter what you do so so he his wife was a designer and she started designing bridal gowns she did them from her home and she'd make these custom gowns and stuff and he wanted to start uh this company bridal gown company and so he would came to me for advice on a business plan and That and turned into me investing in the company, and eventually I ended up actually uh, being a partner with him and his wife in the company. And so I, that's kind of where I think I retired at that point. This was uh, about I I probably was around forty, maybe even younger than that, and I wasn't taking a salary. I didn't need money that way anymore, and. And I was doing what I, wh- I thought was fun. So I was doing uh, basically writing their software for them, their website. Uh, I was doing just about whatever. I was the comp controller, the computer controller, I guess. It was kind of a different term. But but I got to travel to go to the different uh, events. So twice a year they have a bridal event in New York City. And Bonnie was running the largest uh Bridal store in the world um, by square footage, Uh, not by sales, but not that far off on sales either. But she was from Atlanta and she was running this big bridal store and they were buying gowns from us. And that's how I met Bonnie uh, in New York. And we knew each other probably over five years before we got together. But she was the best manager of all the managers that we knew uh, from all these different stores because we were. Uh, high end so we were at the top stores in all the cities so there's basically i think two bridal store reality shows now and both those stores we were selling to so we knew the people that that, that are on there one is bonnie's old company and the other one is a bigger one called kleinfeld's which is the largest bridal store in the world by like by a by volume, I imagine, and it, it's in Brooklyn. So anyways, we, we, that's how Bonnie and I ended up meeting. And we, we were, I was doing totally different thing. I mean, I not fashion conscious in any way, Bonnie will attest to that hundred percent, but it was fun, you know, being around models. I was still single. I hadn't gotten, I, Bonnie was the first person I married and, and she's the, uh, I'm the first person she married. So it was kind of interesting. Uh, I never found the right person until Bonnie. Uh, so anyways, it was, it was quite different and, and uh, I was really enjoying that. And that one hurt more when my partner screwed me in that one, because he was much more of a friend than the other partner I had, uh, came very close with him and he just, I don't know, just kind of was, it's a, it's a story that it took me longer to get over that one.
0: I guess we all learn lessons with partners, you know, and I, and I think it's, you know, for me in business, you know, 35 years in business and I've had partners over the years, I've been pretty blessed to not get, you know, worked over by a partner, like nobody really taking serious advantage, but we've, you know, I've certainly had my disputes and my, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, departure from direction and agreements and all of the rest of it. And partners are kind of a double-edged sword, you know, I think because, you know, they bring skills often and they bring vision or they bring skills or they bring something that you don't bring to the party and you bring something to the party and it all works good, but it's like, you know, it's like marriage, you know, at at some point, sometimes marriages go off the rails, whatever the stat is, 50% of them. And we learn. So as you're going through this, uh, are, do you still have partners or other than Bonnie? I mean, do you still have business partners or you've just said enough of business partners?
1: Yeah, I I mean, look, yeah, I have friends, and 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 that's it. I, I partners. I mean, you, you're right. You need partners. They're important, but it's difficult. And and one of the and actually just before and and marriage is a partner. Probably the biggest partnership you'll ever do. Uh, you know, and and uh, with Bonnie, I remember when we, just before we got married. My my philosophy is that. Uh, there's never a perfect partnership. And it's not because there isn't one. It's because of the way we function. Our brain, basically, we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge everyone else by our, their actions. Sure. And our intentions are always way bigger than our actions. So we always think we do more than we do. And, you know, we justify why we didn't do that thing. But in our brain, we thought we actually did it, right? And so what happens is if you ask, I think, any two partners, you know, who does more, you'll almost always get both of them saying they do more. And uh, and I think that's fundamentally where the problem comes, that people start thinking that the other person's not pu- pulling their weight, and, and then it just kind of uh, snowballs from there. So I told Bonnie when we got married, I said, we're not counting anything. I don't want to hear, you know, I did this and you did that. And so there's no counting, right? You know, if I get you a, a coffee, I'm not saying, well, I got you one last time. And, and it, it just, it's pointless to do that because I think we're, you know, our memory is very, uh, very favorable to ourselves. And that's because I think we have to live with ourselves no matter what. Whereas with other people, we can just get them out of our lives if they're, if they're not, uh, favorable, but we have to live with each other, uh, uh, with ourselves all the time. So our, we tend to remember only the, the good things we do or more so than, than the bad things.
0: Yeah. You know, keeping score in any relationship, whether it's marriage or even in partnership, you know, that is always going to lead to, uh, you know, a yeah. downfall, a breakdown because there's always going to be and feel like an imbalance at some point there, you always go through that. Yeah. You know, Stephanie and I are, it's interesting you talk about marriage and partnership. I just share with you is that one of the biggest, you know, uh, shifts that we had many years ago in our relationship is number one, we don't keep score like you, like you and Bonnie, it's, it's not even in our brain. Uh, as, as you, as you brought it up, I'm going, gosh, yeah, there are still people that at some level keep score, you know, mentally or subconsciously they're, they're, they're doing checks and balances all the time. And, you know, one of the coolest, uh, or, you know, one of the coolest, Assignments I had from a coach many years ago is he said to me, He goes, All I want you to do is focus on Stephanie and doing what is best for Stephanie. Think about it always from what am I doing right now and, and how could I benefit? How could Stephanie benefit from what I'm doing? How can I? So it's like, you know, to the coffee. If I'm bra- grabbing myself yeah. a coffee, why aren't I asking her, Do you need a coffee? Would you like a coffee? Whatever that, you know, those little things, and they're not big things. As a matter of no. fact, she gets. We both get annoyed at each other when we buy big gifts. For example, it's like, "Wow, well, well, you don't need to do that. I don't want that." You know, so we know better. Yeah. But my, the point of that all is that when you focus on the what's best for the other person, it changes yeah. everything. Changes yeah. everything yeah. instead of what's in it for me. Yeah,
1: yeah it's and, and it's it's a difficult thing because uh, we're just not wired that way. You know, mm-hmm. like and and I think one of the problems is a lot of people don't. Admit to it. I think that's a lot of this victim uh, mentality that we seem to have now going around. Is that everyone's a victim? And you know, you know, the, you you want to see victims? Go back a hundred years, and you'll see victims back then. Like people don't realize how good things are right now, and they've only been getting better. And this victimhood thing—it's just—it it, it really comes down to the fact that. You know, if if people really realize how little other people think of them, you know, like you're thinking about yourself, even the nicest person in the world, I bet, thinks about themselves 70 to 80 percent of the time. It's just we have to we have to survive, right? And it's just built like we have to think about ourselves. That's the reality of it. But if we fail to acknowledge that, then We run into what we're in right now where people don't – the reason that a lot of programs don't work is because they don't take into account the fact that people generally are selfish. And we think that's a bad word, but it's not selfish in the bad word. It's just the way we're built. And if you don't take that into account when you're looking at things, you know, it's like all these government programs, everybody takes advantage of it. Even if they don't need the money, they still take advantage of it. And so it's very hard to come up with these programs that actually function because of the way they never take into account the fact that people actually are thinking of themselves most of the time.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Steve, when you're you're going back, let's go back to your retirement now. So you're in the world of retirement. You've got your time. You've bought all the time that you need. Mm-hmm. And did you, and you got into the bridal, you invested in the bridal business. And yeah. the question I had, I guess, is do you continue, are you an angel investor now? Do you continue to invest yes. and take on businesses? Yes. Is there a, Yeah, I do. Is there an area that you that you go to or do you stay in the technology world or do you, because that's a background that you have or, or do you just look at the business model overall?
1: Well, obviously everyone looks at the business model and I do look at high tech because I understand it quite well and 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 look at all of that. But in the end, what I realized over time is that it's the people that are important more than anything else. And the number one thing that I look for is someone who never gives up because there's always a reason to walk away from a business sometime in the first one to two years. And if you don't have resilience and are just going to keep your putting your head down and just going forward, uh, you're not going to make it no matter what you're doing. Uh, it's just, so that's what I've been, the angel investing I do now is more on, I, and it's just weird stuff. It's people that I've known for a long time and they come to me, you know, they're starting a company and, and, uh, I just know that they're going to be, well, I mean, obviously there's always failures, but the upside can be really big on an angel investment. But I also have the ability. And I think, I think, you know, uh, that the rich get richer. One of the reasons is that you have the ability to make a risky investment that you wouldn't do if you weren't rich. And, and those pay off huge. They, they can pay off really big. And it's funny because it took a while to get to the, the first million, but the next ones come way quicker. And I think that's one of the reasons is you have the ability to take bigger risks, but you still want, I, I'm a, I, I don't sleep at night well if I, if I take too much risk. So when I take a risk, it's cause that money to me is, is gone. As soon as I put that money in, I don't, I don't think about it. I don't think I'm going to need it. I don't look at it. Oh, I can always get that money. It has to be really uh, money that I can literally just throw in the air and walk away from.
0: So mentally, so mentally, you're you're saying you know something. If this goes south, that's all good. So it isn't bread money that you're investing. It is actually, or perhaps it was early on, but right now you're in a place where it's not bread money you're investing. You're actually investing risk capital and you're prepared to lose it although you it's never in the plans you're also preparing no. probably better i want to go back yeah. a little bit when you're when you're looking at people that have resilience do you in are you're saying that they're friends so you i guess you you see that track record or you at least have a relationship with them yeah. is is there a quantifiable do you quantify it somehow is there something that you always look for in terms of a character of somebody in in how you invest and look at somebody and measure their resilience if you will
1: yeah it's hard to say if there's one thing it's just uh i think it's 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 definitely a i think a personality trait and and i think it sometimes has to do with you know what they went through in life but i mean i had it really easy in life and i i feel that i don't give up i mean i feel like giving up a lot of times but but i don't uh I, I mean, obviously everyone does at some point and you do have to know, sometimes you just, you have to give up, but there's a certain, I don't know. It's hard to, I, 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 I wish I could put my finger on it. If you could quantify it, I think you could basically never.
0: You'd write um, your own ticket. <laughs> it
1: would be great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you could look, I mean, look at, uh, you know, I mean, basically if you look at all those guys th- that, that are really big in, in tech now, You'll, you'll see a single-minded focus that that is not normal like it's just not it's uncommon right
0: I, you uh, know you said I think you nailed something and and I, I want to step over it, which is that single minded focus and yeah. as much as you've done in your life in terms of achieving in business and what you would you say you know there's a there's the the proverb you know or the saying that you know the man who chases two rabbits catches none, and do you think that part of your success was the fact that you had a really tight focus on what it is you were trying to achieve did you were you built that way? do you think
1: Yeah, I think whatever I was working on i would I was focused on when I did it and and uh I mean but my my single minded focus was always to to retire early to be able to to do what I want to do. And so in the end, that was really everything I was kind of doing it when I look back, had that kind of idea in mind. But the idea was that, you know, you would just do different things, always within reason. But, but that was the focus. I think, I, I mean, obviously, everyone thinks they're fortunate to some degree. Some people don't. They think that, you know, the world was always against them but I think everyone has advantages and disadvantages and it, there's nothing in particular other than I think if you continue to go after one thing and you honestly work towards it, I mean, we're, we're living in in a time in history where that just is so much better than it's ever been. People don't realize how fortunate we are. It's, it's funny. I, there was you know, and obviously having someone you're always better at doing something than someone else. And and what we what we value in society now is someone who's really good at doing something. And it doesn't matter what it is, it can be a really not a not something that people are think is really good, but as long as you're in the top one percent, you're paid like the top 1%. That's what people don't realize. Like, I mean, you know, the hockey players are being paid that because they're that good. And the, you know, the football players and, uh, you know, the the Elon Musk, uh, those guys, There's they do something a lot better than uh, than almost everyone. And that's what we focus on. Whereas when we were in agriculture, if you were a lot better at something Than someone else, you might get a little bit more uh crop than someone else. But uh, you know, that didn't get you that far ahead. And unfortunately, now that little advantage being in that top one percent is the key. So everyone can get there, find find that one thing they do, and uh if they focus on it, I think they can succeed.
0: Well, you were focused on retirement. Now, back when you were focused on retirement, uh, did you have a vision of what retirement was for you? I mean, obviously, it wasn't sitting in a rocking chair and you know looking out over your land. Uh, So, what what was the definition of retirement for you? Uh, You know, back in your parents' day or my parents' day, generally it was you know about travel and you know, I don't know, pulling a trailer across or driving their motorhome across the country or whatever yeah. version of that that was yeah. often yeah. what it was. It was pretty, yeah. pretty simple and, and certainly not action packed. Uh, what was your vision for retirement? What was it for you? Is it, you know, did you have a vision for it? Well,
1: it, it, the vision was what I, when you first asked me what I do and it's whatever I want to do, that's my biggest vision with retirement. Is that the ability to do what I want to do within reason, without having concerns, it's the time thing. It's just that I, I love the sponta- being spontaneous. And so if I wanted to, to go someplace, I don't have to th- ask my boss for some time off, that kind of thing. It's just the freedom to me. I think it really comes down to freedom. And it's the freedom to do what you want to do. And if I don't want, feel like doing anything that day, and uh, then I don't have to. But I rarely don't do something. It's just not. I'm not built that way. But to me, the peace of mind of of the freedom is is the the thing that I really love.
0: Now, interesting is that, of course, Bonnie is she's like you know she could hang out and she tried that for a little while and and she realized that what she loves to do is is work and and be a contribution and and be engaged and and that's kind of her path around retirement if you will. And so yeah. she loves to work, she loves to make money. She's great mm-hmm. at generating revenue, but it's yeah. it's not from a point of you know I got to pay the bills. It's from a point of that's the game I play and I happen to yeah. keep score by doing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think with Bonnie, uh, I think that the thing is, um, when I when I looked at that, well, I'm, you know, about tw- I'm 12 years older than Bonnie and I've had a couple businesses. I felt like I had proven myself and I didn't feel like I needed to prove anything anymore. I think Bonnie needed to prove to herself more than anything that she was, you know, had value. and. You know, money's not a dirty thing. The The reality is that everybody, I think money's the most democratic thing in the world because everybody votes with money every day. And so I don't think it's such a bad measure for for you. What If someone's willing to pay you a lot of money, then it's because you're doing something that's got value. And I, I think it's not the worst thing in the world to feel good about that. Uh, but if you're, you know, money can also, like everything, technology, everything, it's a two-edged sword, right? So you can always go too far one way or the other. I think Bonnie just needed, and Bonnie's a lot more social than me. I can, I can be very happy uh, spending my day with no one. Uh, actually, most of the time, I'm actually more happy by myself <laughs> than I am with other people
0: there's a definition of introversion for you but you're you're either way because you can also be just as extroverted and social as anybody
1: yeah i well I, i mean i think bonnie uh uh is way more social and i think that you know that's the opposites attract is definitely thing the partnership with bonnie is great in the sense that what she's good at i'm uh not very good at and vice versa you know we overlap on a lot of things but Really, it's, it's really good that way, but also causes a lot of uh, tension at times because we don't see things the same way, and that's where disagreements come from. But I think overall, what the thing is with Bonnie and I is that we both really care about each other, and we do, like you were saying about Stephanie, we think about each other, try to think about the other person more than we think about ourselves. And that is, I think, more important than anything else.
0: So in the world of retirement, I mean, gosh, you've achieved what, you know, most listeners on this podcast would want to achieve. I, you know, I look at myself and Stephanie and we have a different view of what retirement isn't even in our, you know, in our world, like, oh, you know, right. we're driven to be a contribution. We're driven to make a difference. we that's. That's where we're at today. And that hey, who knows, maybe that switch gets turned off tomorrow. I don't know. And, yeah. but at this point we're excited about our lives and the contribution we get to be from your point of view and, and how you operate. I mean, you're an angel investor. You are supporting other business people. You're married to a wonderful lady. Is there, is there other parts of retirement that, you know, you've discovered in terms of being a contribution? Are you a mentor? Is there, are those some of the roles that you play as well? Do you think Steve?
1: I I, th- I think I have I have that tendency. The problem is that
0: uh, <laughs> you're too busy I, being I, retired. No, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm joking. No,
1: it's it's. I've tried to to help people and they don't listen. Ah,
0: like, it's so true, isn't it? it? drives yeah. me
1: It drives me crazy. Like yeah. you know, I think a, it drives me crazy because I can see you know i mean i mean i'm obviously no one knows everything but the the fact is you know if you want a mentor you should listen to them but you know i've tried to help people with uh, and finances is one of the things that i think i'm really good at and i tell people what i think but they just they listen and then they go off and do their own thing and they just keep doing what they were doing i mean if you know The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results and and people have come to me you know obviously asking for my advice but then and to me and I find that very frustrating I, I it's 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 difficult I mean I always I thought Bonnie and I both really wanted children unfortunately that wasn't in the cards and I thought you know that would have been a great Mentor to be to a son because they kind of they're kind of a uh, they're a forced pupil kind of thing, but uh, I mean I try some of the people that I'm doing angel investing with. There's a couple of uh, young guys that I got involved with recently, and um, you know I try to give them the advice. The problem is if I get too too uh, connected, then I get disappointed, and and because they don't listen. So I just kind of throw it out there and let them do what they want to do and don't, and it's difficult. It's a very fine line. Cause if you try, if you get too, too involved, then it, it's, I don't know, I guess it's kind of a cheesy way out to not being hurt. Don't do anything. Right. But,
0: you know, there's, a, it's interesting that you bring that up and, and I, you know, because the, the everyday millionaire podcast is, is also about learning. It's I'm, and I'm always, trying to make certain that we take lessons away from my interviews and, and, and I, and I, as I'm speaking and as we're talking about your experience around it and, and not everybody's built to be a mentor for that very reason, or to be a coach. I mean, we deal over the past 25 years, but you know, certainly in the many years that I've been involved with Rain, and I'm always, uh, sometimes I guess, you know, it's easy to want to throw your hands up and go, gosh, you know, I've been down this path. I'm telling you the path to take. I'm actually holding your hand yet you find a reason to not do it. And so coaching is, and of course, Stephanie is a, is in a high performance coach. She's an athletic performance coach and a business coach. And, and we, we sometimes contemplate and think about that a lot is that there is people who ask for coaching and they're not even aware that they're not coachable. And they're, they're so stuck in their story and hanging on to what they know that letting go of that is, makes them not coachable. And, you know, so people listening, you know, listeners for this is, it's a good time to reflect, are you coachable? Are you able to step back and really take the lessons from those who have gone before you and all those cliches about, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants to, you know, to achieve success. They're there because that's what happens. That's what it is. Anyway, so when yeah. you brought that up, it's interesting because, gosh, here's a guy, you know, retired early at 40, did some really cool things. Obviously, you've been down some paths. You're good at some things. You don't claim to be good at everything. And uh, you put it out there and people go, yeah, no, that's interesting. But no, I would do it my way. <laughs> Cracks <laughs> me up. Cracks me up. Yeah. So what's yeah. the biggest surprise you've had? So what's one of some of the biggest surprises you've had being in the world of retirement? Is there what showed up that you went, "Oh, this isn't what it's cracked up to be" or or what has it been for you? If anything. Well,
1: I think the the biggest the biggest surprise that I didn't anticipate was uh taking care of my mom. Uh my dad, I you know, parents generally die close together and but my dad passed away uh, 14 years ago now and my mom and my mom's three was three well, three years older so my mom's outlived my dad now by 17 years and that I wasn't I wasn't thinking of that and that's been the one thing and not that I regret it in any way it's just the one thing that I really uh, wasn't wasn't even considering you know and I think we just generally don't think of death and so when it happens it's always a surprise so but you know the other big surprise is what's happened this year Bonnie uh, at the beginning of the year Bonnie had just quit her other job I, I'm sure she's explained to you what happened it wasn't a very good situation and and uh but fortunately and this is one of the you know things. It's so much different when you don't have to work than when you have to work. Uh, you can make decisions that are, are much more in keeping with your your what you believe in. Yep. So, anyways, uh, so she she was out of work. We were still in Ottawa, and my mom was getting to the point where she had to move in with us. So there's a lot of things uh, that were changing, and. I don't know what it was. I said, Bonnie, I think 2018 is going to be a great year. And within three months, we had sold the house in Ottawa, bought this house that we're in now and sold our house in Texas. And uh, and I just, I'm over the moon on how, how everything's worked out and how much I love being here and, and doing stuff around here. Like, I just, I just love working with my hands. It's so weird because, you know, I've been, I'm a computer guy, but I really get way more satisfaction out of building things with wood and, and just doing and digging holes. You know, I, I I don't know. I just get way more out of that. I guess it's more visual.
0: Well, you're, uh, you know, just for listeners is that you and Bonnie bought, uh, an acreage. Uh, I don't remember. Was it a hundred acres? something like that. Yeah.
1: 114.
0: Yeah. 114. So you're on the country like Stephanie and I are and, uh, being, being out in the country, uh, and like you say, digging holes and chopping trees, it's kind of a cool place to be. It's being grounded. Uh, you know, we lived on yeah. the 49th floor of Shangri-La for a few years. And so I've, I've had the scope of, you know, downtown Vancouver living on the 49th floor in a beautiful condo and now being out yeah. in the country in, in a beautiful acreage. And being yeah. on the ground is is certainly much much more grounding. I, and I I do want to say, Steve, that uh, Bonnie's been sharing with me that uh, you bought a bigger tractor than I did, and and I'm <laughs> a little annoyed by that.
1: It was it was uh, it was a weird thing because you uh, know if Bonnie shared with you, but her her grandfather uh, was killed in a tractor accident, and mm. so she didn't want me to get a tractor. And I want to thank you for telling her that. I had to buy a tractor because that helped every little bit helped, but uh, I really wanted a tractor. And um, so I bought, again, used, I bought used tractor and really the big, the main thing was the snow removal because I needed a good snow blower. And so I got a nice five foot blower on a a little tractor, but I really wanted something to dig holes. And I thought I'd get a, a backhoe attachment, for the tractor which they you can get but when i was looking i actually found a backhoe front end loader and it was bigger than i thought it was because the picture only tells you a little bit but i'm really happy i got it it's a <laughs> nice, nice little well, tractor
0: hey listen the, you know the problems we face you know or you face as a retired guy out in the country is uh you know what what kind of a tractor am i going to buy and where am i going to dig my next hole so yeah that's yeah, that's I cool know. Steve, as we wind down the show, uh, because gosh, we already, man, I'm always interested and fascinated in hearing the success of others and the journey that they've been on. But we do a little round of uh, just some rapid fire questions. Sure. Something that we don't contemplate too much about. And uh, just to give some insights into who you really are. And uh, besides (laughs) a retired Steve Canesso, Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Okay what's your favorite swear word
1: It's fuck <laughs>
0: it is it just goes there you know for most i think it's just a good expression it's so versatile it's so, versatile, <laughs> it's so <right>? versatile. <laughs> versatile versatile it's true now your italian background you speak italian you have a, your culture do you have a go-to in italian in terms of uh, something that you're cuss well, around i
1: don't i don't speak i don't swear in italian very often because um
0: your mom will understand talking,
1: you. <laughs> usually talking to family, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but there is a great, Ital- I think the Italian language has some great swear words <laughs> that just uh, aren't, uh, you know, that most other languages don't have. And, and you know, what they actually mean is quite funny. But baffanculo is the my favorite Italian swear word. So, which means go make an ass. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's, that's the literal translation,
0: yeah. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get to the gates? Good job. On a scale of 1 to 10, how weird are you, Steve?
1: Uh, definitely a 7.
0: What's something that you're just not very good at?
1: Uh, reading people.
0: Tell me something that is true for you that almost nobody agrees with you on? Oh, that's interesting.
1: True for me, but nobody agrees. You see, I I, I don't feel like I have any answer that nobody else has. So if, if I do believe in something strongly and nobody else does, then I question that strongly and, and make sure that it's... And usually I find that I'm not right, because if you're the only one that believes something, Chances are it's not the right thing. <laughs>
0: it's not the right way. Uh don't don't yeah, don't rest on your idealisms. Now you uh you're uh, you love true uh you know you are a seeker of knowledge, you are a constant learner. Uh do you have a favorite book?
1: I have lots of favorite books, but I have YouTube for me is is just so much more powerful than any one book. But if if I had to choose Geez, there's so many books that I read. You know, one a book just recently that I just love is called *Sapiens*. I don't know if you've heard of that book, but it's a uh, guy. He, he's a uh, Israeli professor, and he, I can never pronounce his name. But it's called *Sapiens*. He just put out a second book called *Homo Deus*, and it's basically the history of man, but in a way that you've never seen before because he goes back. Uh, using archaeological evidence of where we came from, what we did, basically shows our true nature, which I think is really important for people to understand, because it's hard to fight that. Like, basically, the way we live now is not how we w- evolved to live.
0: Oh, interesting. And,
1: and we're fighting that all the time, and and but the problem is that that survival instinct jumps out all the time and a lot of the stuff that we see it's basically a lot of the things advertisers use to get you to do stuff are things that you really have zero control over because it's so so tuned in yeah
0: cool sapiens. Room, yeah, sapiens room room desk or your car what do you clean first <laughs> clean your My car your, yeah My I, car. I knew that you clean your tesla yeah. don't you
1: oh yeah it's it as a matter, that's one thing is I haven't, because of the move, I haven't washed it in the longest time, probably since I got it.
0: What's your uh, favorite tune? Do you have one?
1: Yeah, it's, it's gotta be a Zeppelin tune. And it's, there's, it's hard to pick one out of Zeppelin. Obviously, Stairway to Heaven is, is a classic. And I think if, if it would, if I had to pick, that would be it.
0: Do you have a favorite movie?
1: yeah blade runner
0: that was a good movie what are you grateful for
1: i'm grateful for meeting bonnie and 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 uh spending sharing my life with her i'm very grateful for that
0: i'm grateful for uh, having the opportunity to uh, speak with you Steve, and uh (laughs) looking forward to getting to know you even more and uh I'm grateful that uh, you know Bonnie as well because uh, she's a cool yeah. lady and uh, I'm grateful yeah. for having Bonnie in my life as well
1: I, I really wish I could come on some of these trips with her because I'd love to meet you guys and, but I'm sure we'll, we will cross paths
0: oh we will cross paths there's no doubt about that you gotta come yeah. hang out we gotta, we gotta share some uh, acreage experiences and uh, have some fun along the way Yeah. yeah. Steve for thanks sure. for your time my friend thank you Thank you, Patrick. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo@raincanada.com. At That's ceo@r-e-i-n-canada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick O.